Coming to you from Beaumont, this is your house call. Remember those middle school sleepovers you used to have as a kid where the girls would get together and just talk about everything and anything? And I mean everything. Well, as women grow up, we still talk about a lot of things. We talk about advice for careers and breakups. However, there's always these unmentionable topics that rarely come up. And when they do, there might be a giggle or an uncomfortable silence, and the topics quickly change. What am I talking about? Those embarrassing topics that you try to hide. You know, you're leaking urine and you wonder, am I going to have to wear granny panties and a diaper for the rest of my life? Or you're sexually active and you're unable to have an orgasm. Is there something wrong with your partner or is there something wrong with you? You have pain from your belly to your knees. Is it a fibroid or is it something else? Hello and welcome to the Beaumont House Call podcast. I'm Dr. Asha Shahjahan. Our goal is to help you and your families live smarter and healthier lives. Today we're going to talk about unmentionables. Yes, we are going to dive into those topics that we all want to know about but are afraid to talk about. What am I talking about? Bladder issues, sexual dysfunction, and pelvic pain. We'll talk about how you can self-manage and when do you need to see a doctor and what can be done to fix these unmentionable problems. Joining us today is the renowned Dr. Kenneth Peters, Chief of Urology at Beaumont Health and the Medical Director of the Women's Urology and Pelvic Health Center. Thanks for being here, Dr. Peters. I appreciate the invitation. Yeah. So, Dr. Peters, you've been published in numerous studies, and you've presented across the nation. You have people flying around the world to see you. I think you said 30 states and five countries to date. Uh, You're a urologist, and the average person thinks that a urologist is there for bladder issues or prostate or is a men's doctor. What exactly do you do? And can you tell us... Like, why is there someone flying all the way from Pakistan to see you? Yeah, I mean, that's true. We just did have someone from Pakistan in our Women's Urology and Public Health Center. And as a urologist, you know, we take care of voiding dysfunction, you know, urgency, frequency, incontinence. But, you know, at Beaumont, we've really specialized in other areas, and we do a lot of novel research and offer new therapies around pelvic pain, sexual dysfunction. And so we're not just, you know, a man's doctor anymore. We have a whole contingent of people who uh, help support this, these unmentionables that you're talking about. So unmentionables, you know, why is it so hard for people to talk about these topics? It's, it's more common than we think, Right. It's way more common than you think. And I think part of the problem is I think people believe that they're the only ones suffering from this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're embarrassed to bring it up because they don't think that there's anyone else who would understand. And, and you know, these are incredibly common things that we're going to be talking about. And I want people to understand that it can be part of just a normal aging process. It's a common conditions and we can, you know, we can certainly uh, impact them and address them. So I'm going to jump right into it. Leakage. Okay, I see patients that come wearing a pad on their underwear because they have leakage. And they say, when I sneeze or I laugh too hard, I leak. Um, Or sometimes I feel like I have to go all the time and and I have no bladder control. Urinary incontinence is common, right? It's about 13 million people suffer with stress incontinence and 37 million people with urge or overactive bladder. Now, many women think this is normal. It's just part of being a woman. You have to deal with it. But leakage is not normal, right? Right. 
it's absolutely not normal. I think a lot of people think their mom leaked or their grandparent leaked and that they should leak. And, you know, the important thing is deciding what type of leaking it is. When we say stress incontinence, I like to call it activity incontinence, like with, you know, coughing, sneezing, straining, lifting, exercise. And that um, is bothersome for patients, uh, and it often happens after childbirth and, and some, uh, you know, weakening of the pelvic floor muscles with aging. Um, but, you know, even a more bothersome incontinence is the, you know, urgency incontinence or the overactive bladder. Got to go, got to go. And mm-hmm. if you don't make it, you leak. And, you know, that's a, a very troublesome for many people. So we've all heard of like oral treatments like Ditropan or, oh, you've got to do Kegel exercises. But there's so many innovative treatments that are available out there, like Botox. It's not just for wrinkles. Like you can use Botox, right? That's right. It really, and this is where it's important to distinguish, is it due to you know, activity incontinence or stress incontinence or overactive bladder? For overactive bladder, those are the medicines you're talking about, the ditropan, vesicators, things you see advertised. But Botox is now approved for overactive bladder. And, and basically, the reason it works for a wrinkle is a wrinkle is a muscle spasm. And so mm-hmm. if you inject that muscle with Botox, it paralyzes it, and the wrinkle goes away. The bladder is a muscle, and when it's overactive, you inject Botox, and it calms it down. And it works really well for this kind of problem. How long does it last for about if you did a Botox injection? Most people, about six months, and it's you know figuring out the uh, right dose for each patient, and, and sometimes a little sooner, sometimes a little later. How do you know when you need to see a doctor for something like leakage versus being able to manage it at home? Like, what is, I guess it's different for every person what they can tolerate, but like, what would your advice be of someone, like, I've got, I've got friends who've just had children that are in their 20s and 30s and are like, is this going to get worse? Is it going to get better? Do I let it pass? You know, it's a great question. It's really depending on your bother factor. It's all quality of life driven. There are things you can do at home. I mean, if you're having a lot of overactive bladder symptoms, you know, limiting your caffeine, it's probably the biggest trigger for the bladder. You know, alcohol can trigger it. It works as a diuretic. But, you know, if it's more the activity incontinence, stress incontinence, you know, Kegel exercises, you know, pelvic floor strengthening, you know, those kind of things where you get core strengthening can help. And so these are things that you can do on your own. However, um, you know, when you're not getting to where you want to be, I mean, there are great opportunities to improve your quality of life. It just really depends on what works best for you. My, my main thing that I see is I see patients who have chosen to try to get care for their problem, mm-hmm. but haven't had a satisfactory result. And, and they think, well, I tried, there must not be anything to do. And what I'd like to say is there's lots of other things we can do. I mean, besides Botox, you could put pacemakers in the bladder. You could mm. put a, a needle at the nerve in the ankle that controls bladder function. And all this is now approved, you know, by the FDA. You know, we're doing studies on stem cells for stress incontinence, like body heal thyself. So there's lots of uh, things that don't feel like if you haven't had, you know, the benefit that you want that, that there's no other alternatives. So with some of those procedures you mentioned, like, immediately I'm thinking, oh, wow, that sounds really invasive. Like, are they pretty simple procedures that are done? Or like, can you, like, for example, walk me through um, one of your procedures that you would do? Sure. I mean, the, the one's called tibial nerve stimulation. Basically, everyone knows about acupuncture. Mm-hmm. So patients come in once a week, and we tap in an acupuncture needle at the nerve in their ankle. doesn't hurt at all, and we deliver a little electrical current. What they feel is a little pulsating in their foot. Okay. We do that for 30 minutes once a week for 12 weeks. About 75% of patients will see a marked reduction in their frequency, their urgency, their leaking. If that works for them, then they come in once a month to maintain it. You know, currently we're working on a research study on a micro implant to put there. We could put it right in the office and then patients could stimulate every day at home. That's a 15-minute procedure. It's part of a research study. But, you know, the, the pacemaker for the bladder, 
it's an outpatient procedure, but it, it, it involves a skin nick, you know, uh, you know, less than an hour procedure, and patients get to wear it outside their body for two weeks to decide if it works before we implant something that looks just like a heart pacemaker. It just goes in the oh. upper butt instead. Okay. Um, so there are other things that can be done also in relation to other uh, pathologies. So what I'm saying is like I've heard of timed voiding and elevating your legs when you're s- sitting for like overactive bladder. But then um, I heard something about being having sleep apnea be treated. I mean, I wouldn't even as a physician, I don't even think the two are connected. How is it that if you're having urinary incontinence or issues with overactive bladder that you should be considering getting uh, tested for sleep apnea. Yeah, as a urologist, I, I diagnose tons of people with sleep apnea, or I start the diagnosis, and it's because um, one of the hardest things for patients to deal with is waking up at night to urinate. Mm-hmm. And with sleep apnea, if you're already limited your evening fluids, with sleep apnea, if you if you get apneic or you quit breathing at night, your blood pressure goes up, so your kidneys kick in and produce urine, trying to lower the blood pressure. Mm-hmm. So in a short time period, you can make an enormous amount of urine. And so I always ask somebody, I might ask their spouse, you know, do they snore, you know? Uh-huh. And honestly, I've lived it. I have sleep apnea, and I used to get up four times a night. And since I've been treated, I've never gotten up. So it can really make an wow. amazing difference. The other thing was constipation. Like uh, on your staff, you have colorectal specialists. Um, and that I would think that's not as common in a urology department. So how does constipation play a role in overactive bladder or urinary incontinence? Yeah, so, the, you know, the pelvis is a very um, concentrated area, and there's lots of organs there. I mean, you have the bladder, the uterus, the vagina, the bowel. They're all shared by the same nerves, so if one is bothered, the other can be bothered too. There's clear animal studies that if you, if you irritate the bowel, like with some acetic acid in, in a rat, and you biopsy the bladder, the bladder's inflamed even though you never touched it. So there's this crosstalk between nerves. So we know that if one, that one can affect the other, and as we try to make people better, and what we've learned is we're never going to be successful just treating our own organ. We have to kind of look at the whole person, mm-hmm. and this is where, you know, if you're talking about whether it's incontinence or pelvic pain or, or overactive bladder, you know, we have to look at everything around it. And if somebody's constipated, it really leads to voiding dysfunction. It can make it difficult to empty completely. And so, we, you know, I find half my time I'm trying to manage people's bowels when I'm really a bladder doctor. Yeah, well, I think it's interesting to know that there's other things that can be done. So let's move on to pelvic pain. One out of nine women in the United States have pelvic pain, and over one million of them have been diagnosed with interstitial cystitis. I don't like that word. It's a very difficult word to say, interstitial cystitis. It's known as IC. Um, So what is pelvic pain, and what is IC, and why are there so many misdiagnoses? That's a great question. So pelvic pain is very, very common, and it's something that uh, you know, basically that's where, where you started. Someone who hurts between their belly button and their knees. And a lot of times when somebody has pelvic pain, if they see their gynecologist, they're told they have endometriosis. They mm-hmm. see the urologist, they're told they have interstitial cystitis, which would be like a, a bladder inflammatory disease. You talk to their um, GI doctor and they have irritable bowel syndrome. So Yeah, it's confusing. It, it's confusing. So, there, you know, the, again, there's lots of things that can be triggering this. Typically, somebody with pelvic pain could present with, um, you know, pain just sitting, and sometimes sitting a long time makes it worse because it can compress like certain nerves, like your pudendal nerve, which is very important in all those organs down there. But and it could lead and the to, pudendal nerve is located like near the buttocks area. Yeah, or, it's right near kind of your sit bones. Okay. It's, it's where it is, and so sometimes like bikers and things like that put mm-hmm. them at risk. 
but the other thing with pelvic pain is, it, you know, it can lead to sexual dysfunction because you have painful intercourse, which uh, can be very troublesome. It can be painful, um, you know, bowels because of the tightness. Because honestly, much of the pelvic pain we see is driven by something called pelvic floor dysfunction. Mm-hmm. If you imagine your pelvis is like a bowl and the walls of the bowl are made of muscle. In it sits the bladder, the vagina, the uterus, the rectum. And those muscles are important in everything we do. And when we go to urinate, you don't realize it, but the first thing you do is relax your pelvic floor. And that sends a signal to the brain for the bladder to contract. If those muscles are tense and tight, you can't relax. So then that can lead to bowel and bladder function. And it's those same muscles that surround the vagina. So if you have painful intercourse, you know, that could be driven by those muscles. And that's why it's so important to, you know, not just be labeled with a disease like interstitial cystitis, but make sure the clinician is looking at, you know, confusable states or other things that may be causing it before you just treat the organ. And then what are some of the treatments offered for chronic pelvic pain? You know, I heard of vaginal valium. What is that? Yeah. So, you know, it, it is, it's very tailored to each patient and what we do. And really that's how the development of the, you know, Beaumont Women's Urology and Pelvic Health Center came out because we were seeing lots of patients with pelvic pain and we realized as a, as a specialty of urology, we couldn't provide the care needed for patients by ourselves. And so we reached out to lots of different disciplines and we have a dedicated center for this. But, you know, these treatments is real, are really dependent on what we find. But like vaginal Valium, mm-hmm. we use for people who have like pelvic floor muscle spasm. And if you put a Valium in the vagina, it actually gets absorbed through the vaginal wall locally into those muscles, helps the muscles relax, reduces pain. Oh. And we often do that with pelvic floor physical therapy, which is a godsend for patients. And that can help both incontinence and pain. But when you have... You know, if you had a pain in your neck and it hurts to, it hurts to um, turn your head, and, you know, you could have somebody just rub that muscle out and it feels better. If the muscles are spastic in the pelvis, the physical therapist worked internally and can break that spasm, it makes, it makes an incredible difference for patients' uh, pain and, and there are other symptoms down there. Now, what about neuromodulation? Like, what is that all about? It sounds like such a technical, fancy thing. Yeah, so there's a big terminology now called electroceuticals. Instead of like pharmaceuticals or nutraceuticals, it's electroceuticals. But everything runs on nerves. And when everything runs on nerves, if we can change the nerve signals coming through there, that can make a difference for patients. And so neuromodulation is is basically um, we can send signals through the nerves and override things like pain that are causing pelvic pain. They could change how the bowel works if you're having fecal issues or, or bladder issues. If you imagine the wrong signals are coming through, if we send a signal that the nerve needs and the bladder, bladder or bowel wants or the pelvic floor wants, it can make a big difference in their symptoms. A very simple thing to do, too. And so with all of these treatments, like the vaginal Valium or neuromodulation, they're all monitored and, and prescribed by a doctor. So I mean, we don't want people just taking Valium and, and, and you like a regular Valium and trying it on their own. Like it should be, is it administered by a doctor or do they, are they shown how to use it or how does that work? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's a prescription, so it has to be given, you know, by a clinician, at least who could prescribe. And, it, you know, we do describe how to do it. You mm-hmm. know, sometimes we just use the actual pill that you would swallow, but we also could have a compounded as a cream or a suppository. But yeah, I mean, typically it's part of our multidisciplinary approach where they're, you know, doing physical therapy, they're doing, you know, vaginal Valium, they're seeing our pain psychologist, you know, they may be working with our colorectal doctors and they're getting integrative medicine where we can do guided imagery and acupuncture and, and, you know, working with our nutritionist. So we're trying to look at kind of the whole 
we always say mind, body, and spirit in the Women's Urology and Pelvic Health Center to really kind of be successful in managing these these uh, difficult issues. And I heard you guys have pain retreats or like yeah. one week long. Like that sounds fantastic, like a great model for treating and diagnosing. Like how do you get into one of these retreats? So uh, we've had patients come from, you know, all over the country and the world to the uh, center. And the way we do this is for patients who have, you know, many different symptoms, have seen many doctors, what we do is they contact us, and we always ask for medical records first. I have a nurse practitioner, Kate, she's amazing, and she reviews all of these medical records, communicates with the patient to see what their needs are. And then Mm -hmm. what we do is we arrange a week or sometimes two where they come in and spend every day with us. And they're seeing, you know, they're seeing our nurse practitioner, they're seeing the urologist, the gynecologist, our pain psych, our integrative medicine folks, physical therapists whoever they, we think they need, and basically then we're working as a team and we're communicating with each other about what our findings are, what we think are triggering their symptoms, and then we try to work collaboratively to figure out the best treatment for them. At the end of it all, then we meet with them one last time to review everything. We give them an outline of our findings, what our suggestions are for treatment, and we try to work with their local um, providers to try to carry this on because many of these patients come from all over the the country. Mm-hmm. And although many of them often choose to come back and spend more time with us, some have come back for one, two, or three retreats. But it's really a, an amazing way to treat a complex patient that really no one's been successful in the past of managing. And we've done a really yeah. good job with it. Think about how many appointments you might have to go to. Like you might see a doctor once, and then you have to wait three weeks or four weeks and two weeks, and it's hard to get off work. And if you can just concentrate and spend like one week to figure out what's going on. Like I have so many patients that are just frustrated because they're misdiagnosed or they don't know what what to do. So I think that's fantastic uh, that you guys do that. And also, like you mentioned, it's with a group of different doctors. So you have a lot of different eyes on you and looking at all the different body parts that could be involved, right? Uh, Absolutely. That makes the world of difference there. And who do you think is most at risk of having issues with uh, pelvic pain or urinary incontinence, et cetera? Depends on the patient. But, you know, for pelvic pain, it can be due to some type of trauma and whether that's a physical trauma where they've had some type of accident or injury. You know, we even see like in bike riders, you know, who sit on a bike all day, it can compress their nerves, it can cause pain. But there also could be emotional trauma. We know a large number of our patients have had some type of abuse in their life. Mm -hmm. And if you have that, you know, you can be kind of tense and tight and guard your pelvic floor as a young person that then carries on to adulthood that leads to voiding dysfunction, bowel dysfunction, and pain. I see a lot of patients that struggle with depression, and it's difficult for them to even talk about that they're depressed. And so they might start with talking about something that happened in their childhood, whether they were abused or, I mean, we talk about the Me Too movement, about how many times people have had things happen to them, and it's become, you know, quote unquote, common. And so I feel like women are afraid to go down that path. Um, and kind of connect that. And so it's sort of like you're, you're sitting there, I've got chronic pain in my pelvic area, I might have chronic pain in other areas. And, and it's like, they don't want to talk about the, the pain in the pelvic area. How important is it? Um, you mentioned that you have some psychologists. And it, it's kind of ner- nerve wracking for patients to feel like I'm going to see a urologist and I have to see a psychologist and I have to see all of these people and bring up things that they don't want to relive per se like uh, how important is that connection and working through that 
You know, in the Women's Urology and Pelvic Health Center, uh, we believe strongly in, you know, mind, body, and spirit. And there's no question that anything that uh, impacts you, whether it's pain or an embarrassing situation or condition, you know, it impacts you at every level. And the, you know, uh, if you suffer from chronic pain, it, it can lead to depression. It can lead to, you know, decreased quality of life. And there's lots of things that we can do from a psychological standpoint to enhance, you know, the healing. And that's why we have pain psychologists. It isn't about it all being in your head because it's not. Mm-hmm. But everything that happens to you gets processed in the brain and how we perceive that and how we manage that really is part of that entire kind of comprehensive approach to managing these conditions. Yeah, because the brain is a very important organ when it comes to things like uh, nerve pain and uh, chronic pain and and those types of things. And so I think a lot of women, when they hear about um, having chronic issues with pain, they immediately think of the psych component. But there are other neurological components in addition to psychiatric um, components that could contribute to that. Uh, there are. I mean, and, and how the nerves are firing in different areas of the body, all that gets transmitted up through the spinal cord to the brain. And, I, you know, I tell patients, you know, when, when they say, well, you know, my, you know, my spouse thinks it's all in my head. Mm-hmm. And, and I say, you know, it, it is in a way, but if you had like a spinal cord injured patient who's, who's paralyzed from the waist down, they don't feel anything if you do anything below their injury. And it's only because it doesn't get up to the brain for you to perceive it. Ultimately, that central processing or the brain level kind of is involved in all of this. And and our kind of goal to be, um, you know, comprehensively managing these patients, I think it's a very key component in in their care. So I'm going to move on now to even a little bit more sensitive and private topic. So let's talk about sexual dysfunction. So I feel like with men, we talk about Viagra. It's like a household name. Everybody knows about it. But how many people have heard of filbasarin? Um, you know, I was actually typing up my script today, and uh, autocorrect came up when I did Viagra that I had to capitalize it. But then when I did the filbasarin, it, it actually tried to autocorrect and, and put the word filibuster. So <laughs> I'm just like, okay, nobody knows what this is, not even like Word or Siri or whatever. Um, what is filbasarin? So it's a medication for um, female desire disorder. So, you know, there's many different types of kind of female sexual disorders. You know, there's, you know, female desire and, you know, there's pain disorders. You know, there's there's uh, a host of them. This helps improve female desire. And it is a drug that's relatively new that in the right patient, it can make a big difference for them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as you, can, as you can imagine, I mean, you know, sexual function, whether it's a man or a woman, is a very complex and there's many levels to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that the frustration that, that I see that patients have is we, everyone talks about male sexual dysfunction, oh, right? Because yeah. you have the Viagra's and the Cialis is spending money on it. Right. But actually, there's more women who suffer from sexual dysfunction than men. So one of our focuses in the center is that. And we have, you know, a gynecologist who specializes in female sexual dysfunction, looks at the hormonal side of things. You know, if it's a pain issue, we all deal with that. And we also have sex counselors in there that can work individually or with, you know, with spouses um, to try to help uh, improve uh, female sexual function. So it's often many things that we have to evaluate and, and again, treat the different triggers that may be contributing to the syndrome. 
Yeah, I find it I find it very odd actually that it, you, I think it's like forty percent of women suffer from a, a level of sexual dysfunction compared to thirty percent of men, but yet we're not really talking about it. Women don't come into the office and talk about it. I do have women that come in and say, "Hey, you know, doctor, I'm not in the mood anymore," and immediately as clinicians, we're like, "Okay, well, what's going on in your relationship? You need to go to therapy." But there are other reasons, like you mentioned. Can like what are other reasons that someone could not be in the mood? Well, so, you know, again, you know, there's the emotional reasons, right? The connectivity they Mm -hmm. have with whatever partner they have, and that's an important part of it. But there's also reasons of, you know, like, for example, as you get older, vaginal dryness because of lack of hormone therapy. But, you know, there's some patients who can't take them. Let's say they have breast cancer. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, we offer things like vaginal laser treatments to try to um, manage, you know, the the pain syndrome that might be associated with it. We already talked about the pelvic floor and its impact. And, you know, and then, you know, there, but, you know, even just a little bit of testosterone in a woman, Mm -hmm. you know, can make a difference as far as like, you know, being in the mood. So, you know, there's lots of contributors to it. We can do a panel of, um, uh, you know, lab panel that kind of shows where you are hormonally. We can try different creams or pills that might uh, impact this and, you know, work with our team to try to improve the quality of life and improve sexual function. Yeah, because I feel like it puts a lot of stress on relationships and marriages. And women, a lot of them will just say, I have to go see a therapist. And they start talking about all sorts of different things. And they sort of lose sight of the sexual problem. And it could be a simple fix as just checking the hormone levels. Absolutely. So let's talk about painful intercourse. What causes that and how can it be fixed? So there's different causes. And and when we see somebody with painful intercourse, it's trying to understand where the problem is. Sometimes it's upon like penetration or the entrance of the vagina. Mm -hmm. And and so you could have something called like vestibulodynia. The vestibule is like that entrance and you can have inflammation of the tissues on on the inside that or or the nerves are firing where it hurts to have anything inserted in the vagina. And sometimes we can manage that with different medications like creams or um, or different pills to calm the nerves down. Uh, sometimes we can manage it with nerve blocks to, and with some steroids to calm the nerves. And, and uh, sometimes there's some surgical alternatives to it. But probably one of the more common things that we see with, with um, sexual pain is the pelvic floor muscles. We talked a little bit about when we were talking about, mm-hmm. you know, pelvic pain and incontinence. But since those muscles surround the vagina and they get manipulated with intercourse and they can cause significant pain when you, when you touch those muscles, um, us managing them with, you know, um, physical therapy, trigger point injections, you know, nerve blocks or neuromodulation can make a world of difference uh, for patients. And I would say, you know, what I get frustrated as a clinician is that most of us in medical school weren't taught about the pelvic floor. And we put on courses at Beaumont to train clinicians from all over the country to learn how to do a good exam because all it takes is, you know, we're we're taught to do a vaginal exam, you know, look at the cervix, look at the uterus, the bladder, but no one has told us to touch the pelvic floor muscle, see what normal feels like and abnormal. And, you know, 85% of the patients who see us for that interstitial cystitis we were talking about before Mm -hmm. actually have pelvic floor dysfunction causing their pain, frequency, urgency. And if we can kind of as, as a, you know, if we can make a difference educating our, our, our um, partners in all of this and, uh, you know, our colleagues, I think we can make a big difference in managing uh, patients who maybe keep going doctor to doctor trying to find a solution. 
Is there something that can be done at home, let's say, if you have painful intercourse that almost like a, a self-diagnosis of whether or not they need to be seen by a doctor? Like, is there exercises that can be done prior um, to sort of loosen um, this, you know, like the, the pelvic floor? We want to tighten that, but I'm saying just like to relax the area or is there some, some things that can be done at home to sort of look at that or lubricants, things like that? And yeah, so there's no question that, you know, making sure there's a proper lubrication can make a difference and, and that can help. I think that, you know, as, you know, if a person's suffering from pain, you know, they should be paying attention themselves. Is it hurting kind of upon entry or deep? Because mm-hmm. those are two different triggers. And that'll certainly help the clinician kind of decide on what's the best treatment for them. And, you know, I think that, um, anything you can do to relax the the area and you know so sometimes like taking a warm tub bath you know a heating pad because a lot of times you know muscles are tense and tight and it's just really difficult to manage that so you know relaxation but if if you know these home remedies or home assessments aren't working you definitely should you know see a specialist and then do you ever see patients who did not have any problems and with pain and then let's say they have a new partner and they have problems with pain and they just think it's attributed to the new partner as opposed to a change maybe in like atrophy or um, that type of thing. Sure. I mean, it can change. You could change with a partner and, and just the, you know, the physical differences between partners. It could change with their comfort level, you know, mm-hmm. if, about being able to be relaxed uh, during it. And then, you know, the other thing is, you, you know, you can't forget common things, you know. It's, it's important to practice protected intercourse if you're not in a stable relationship because things like, you know, sexually transmitted diseases could be a source of mm-hmm. pain. You know, if there's any unusual vaginal discharge, you know, those, and those kind of things all just need to be kind of addressed but it can be a moving target a little bit and everyone puts like their life stresses in different places i put it in my low back some people put it in their head you mm-hmm. know they get tension headaches some people put it in their pelvis they like they tense and tighten up and they don't realize they're clenching and that can lead to you know bowel dysfunction voiding dysfunction and sexual dysfunction and sometimes just you know relearning how to how to manage stress can make a difference yeah, that's too. so interesting yeah, people do carry stress in different areas um what about the inability to have orgasms? So many women think, you know, I just can't have one or um, it's my partner um, or it's me. And so they don't even really, it's almost like they give up and they're like, well, that's just, that's just how it is, you know? Um, and I, I wondered to myself if a, if a male didn't have an orgasm, how often would they engage in intercourse? But like, what can be done about that? And how, do, when do you know that it's an actual problem versus maybe it's a, an issue with a, with a uh, partner? Again, a complex question because there's many different things that generate an orgasm. I, you know, I guess a first question I'd have was, were they ever able to? Mm-hmm. Because if they were ever able to have an orgasm, you know, at least you know that the kind of machinery works. And then, you know, there's different types of orgasms. Some women have what we call vaginal-driven orgasms, so that anterior vagina or, quote-unquote, the G-spot, or some have clitoral orgasms. And what is it that that patient needs? And probably one of the more important things is for a patient to figure it out themselves. I mean, if they need a certain area, if they need more clitoral stimulation or vaginal stimulation, you know, if they know that, then they can help direct the partner into that if they've had orgasms and kind of have quit having them, mm-hmm. I mean, it could be as simple as, as, as um, you know, um, discomfort, you know, vaginal dryness, some nerve issues. 
uh, you know, or, you know, just relationship issues, right? If, if, you know, I think I always ask patients, I'm going to look at when they're talking about this kind of stuff, I said, how are you if you're on vacation? Because mm-hmm. almost everyone on vacation is better. And it's right. because our life stress impacts all of this a lot. And this is where, like, that's why we have, you know, sexual counselors um, in our center to help kind of manage that. But, you know, it is, it is a very complex issue, and, and it's, it has to be very individualized to try to manage it. Yeah, and then you guys do a great job of that in your center. So one thing about the multidisciplinary approach that we talked about, I I was looking at all the different specialists that you have available. It's like you have the urologist, you have an integrative medicine doctor, which I think is fantastic, gynecologist, rheumatologist, nutritionist, physical therapist, sex therapist, pain management. I mean, it's an, an insane amount of coordination. Uh, do is it just like a consult where the patient meets with all of them, or based on the question answer they they see certain people? Like, walk me through a consult, for example. If uh, if I'm a patient and I'm coming there, am I going to see all of these specialists? You won't see all of them if you don't need to see all of them. Mm-hmm. And what we rely a lot on is our nurse practitioner as the initial intake person. Mm-hmm. And unlike other um, offices, if you go see an uh, you go to a um, you know, you go to an office for a new patient visit, you know, you're lucky to get 15 minutes of FaceTime. You know, here, you know, what we do is we try to understand the patient before they come by getting their medical records. They'll often then see our nurse practitioner first who will do, a, like, may spend an hour or more with the patient, mm-hmm. do a great history and do a physical exam. And then based on that, she's like the, you know, cornerstone of the center. You know, then she decides what issues there are and then what clinicians would be best that there's that, you know, that which should, should see that patient. And as, as then we coordinate those, those, um, those meetings or those appointments, and there may not all be done on the same day. We some, often we can do more than one on a day, but you know, every day there's different clinicians in there. And as we, as you know, we take the patient through the process, you know, all that kind of information is being shared with each other as far as the clinicians to try to, you know, provide the best care for the patient. So it is, it is really individualized medicine. It's not, you know, and, and we're very much into, you know, so much of this, uh, these unmentionables impact the patients and their families together, you know, so we mm-hmm. try to engage like the, the family members as much as we can too. So if we're doing physical therapy on somebody and they're doing intravaginal myofascial release, which is a way to release muscle tension, you know, sometimes we'll have, if the, if the patient's comfortable, the spouse or, or in there or, you know, a loved one who can kind of help listen or even participate to help them at home when they're no longer with the therapist. So I think that it, it's it's I guess what I really look at is is what I just said it was individualized medicine and we really try to focus on identifying triggers and and treating as many of them we can't I tell every patient you're going to be better because I 100 percent believe that because if you just invest time in the patient and and listen to them they're better just from that level no matter what but you know I have no magic wand to make everyone perfect because many of these are very complex things but I think we do a great job at identifying uh, many of the problems and, and really impacting patients in a positive way. That's very reassuring because I think many women just sort of give up as this is just part of life and they don't think anyone can help them. So that is fantastic. I did have a question about, so a nutritionist, what does a nutritionist do for people that have chronic pelvic pain? Like, Yeah. So, you know, we work very closely with our integrative medicine group and they're awesome on every level. And the nutritionists um, help us 
Uh, you know, if you think about your bladder, mm-hmm. um, you know, just the foods that can irritate it, like caffeinated beverages, spicy foods, acidic foods, you know, they can help um, with uh, those kind of things of helping kind of understand a diet that may be appropriate for somebody, you know, for bowel, um, you know, we talked about the issues of the bowel and mm-hmm. how it can impact everything else, making sure that, you know, we have appro- appropriate fiber levels, uh, you know, in their uh, intake and that the bowel movements are um uh, appropriate. And so, you know, they can help a lot with, with those kind of things. And, and, you know, their overall health, right? I mean, the, the, you know, it's just about, you know, we're very much into really wanting healthy living, exercise, you know, um, yeah. weight loss. I mean, all that can, can, you know, impact positively the, you know, the care of the patient. It's really all connected. It's, it's like all connected. People, that's, sometimes it's hard to think about that in that way. And then you also mentioned guided imagery is available um, for the chronic pelvic pain patients, or it's free on your website. Um, are there resources for women to either symptom check themselves or a reliable resource if they are having some of the issues that we, we mentioned that they could get more information? You know, if, if you just Google Beaumont urology or women's urology or, or Beaumont and pelvic pain, mm-hmm. I mean, the Women's Urology Center will pop up. And on that, you know, we can get guided imagery. We can get, um, we have videos there on you know, topics on it's a like lot a of It's like a free resource. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So what's your most favorite part of your job? You know, uh, it's taking, making somebody better who no one was able to help. I mean, that's really what I like. It's like, it's a, it's difficult when you're taking care of very complex patients, particularly if someone's traveling, you know, a thousand miles to come here. That's I mean, a lot of pressure. Yeah, they're coming with, <laughs> with a lot of medical records and a lot of issues. They wouldn't be making that trip. But if we can kind of like sort through all of that, identify where the problems are and actually impact them in a positive way. Like when you get feedback from a patient, like, why didn't my other 10 doctors yeah, you know, find this out or tell me this, and you actually see their improvement in their quality of life, and and you know, it's it's that 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 makes it all worthwhile. Yeah, and I think the thing that I feel so lucky as a as a doctor practicing in Michigan, you're right here. Right, like, <laughs> I can send my patients to. It's fantastic. So, Dr. Peters, thanks for actually talking about these difficult topics that most of us are too embarrassed to discuss. I personally learned a lot today, and it was a pleasure having you on. All right. Thank you very much. I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. And the next time you do travel, because you travel a lot for your research and that kind of thing, take me with you. <laughs> Will do. <laughs> and don't forget, podcast listeners, we're working on future Beaumont House Call podcasts, how to care for aging parents and how to get unstuck and headaches. We all have them. But when do you need to be concerned? We also want to remind you to send along any questions or suggestions to podcast at Beaumont.org. In the future, we'll be answering our mailbag. Till the next time, thanks for joining us on the Beaumont House Call. We leave you here with this healthy thought. There's no reason to suffer due to embarrassing questions that you might have of some of these unmentionables that we discussed today. There are many treatments that you can do and a lot of innovation and technology that can improve your quality of life, as Dr. Peters told us today. If you have bladder control issues or pelvic pain or sexual dysfunction that's impacting your life to the point that you're avoiding relationships or activities that you normally love, it's time to do something about it. There is technology, retreats, and a caring team all dedicated to help you. So next time you're at your doctor's, don't be afraid to mention those unmentionables. Continue your journey to living a smarter, healthier life. Visit Beaumont.org slash podcast to access information and resources related to today's podcast.